Hi, and welcome to another great life impacting message from Bridge Evangelical Christian Church. For more great content and to learn more about our church, visit becc.church. Enjoy. Just as we uh, just sung, where else can we go? Where else can we go? Well, many will say there are other places we can go. We would say, no, there's only one place to go. That is to Christ. Amen. It's because we believe Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life. There is no way to the Father except by Him. We just don't say that because the Bible says it. We say it because... We believe it. And we live like we believe it. They're not just words that affect our intellect, but they are words that affect our hearts and transform our lives. Where else can we go, Lord? There's only one way to go. That is to Christ. Well, have you been to Christ? I'm sure you have. That's why you're here today. Because for you, it's about Christ. As with every other Christian who claims to be a Christian, it is all about Christ. And this morning, we want to make it more about Christ. Amen? Well, if you have your Bibles open with me to uh, Colossians, now, I really want to start, well, I want to begin at verse 9 again and we're covering more ground because I just see so much in this. I don't know how you can pick up a Bible and just go through it without getting stuck. Verse 9 of chapter 1, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So well, what's that knowledge of God that you increase in? Verses 15 to 20 is a great, is a, referred to as a hymn. A doxology, this is the a praise point. This is where Paul really wants to, to highlight to the, the Colossians who Christ is. He says, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God. I'm going to be careful with that word image. He is not just a picture of God. He is God. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, if you're a Jehovah Witness. No, He is God, and the Word was God. I translate the, the Greek text there a bit different, and dare I say, incorrectly. As if they understood the whole Bible, Jesus is God. 
He's not just the picture of God. He's not just the reflection of God. He is God. He's the image of the invisible God. How do you know what God looks like? <laughs> Jesus. It's unfortunate that many people think Jesus is a white dude. And for years, you know, you'd see pictures on the walls of Jesus with green eyes and blonde hair and a blonde beard. Jesus more like look more like me in my colour. He's a Jew. He's sort of brown skin, dark hair, big nose. <laughs> As most Jewish people have. <laughs> he looked nothing like how they portray him to be. And that's a problem, isn't it, in the world? We portray Jesus to be something that he's not. Something other than what he really is. But he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. Be careful with that word too. Does it mean that he was born first? The oldest in the family? Well, then that would mean that he was created. That God slept with somebody and they say Mary. The, the heretics say Mary. And therefore, Jesus was conceived. And yet when you read the Bible, Jesus was around before the foundations of the world. The Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. Born in that sense? <clears throat> well, this is where Paul's sort of heading to to highlight. This is the highlight of the book of Colossians. I don't know if you know, when you, when you get to this passage, verses 15 to 20, uh, I don't know how you can miss this and how you cannot want to spend time just observing it and going over it again and again and again. Why? Well, shoot back down to verse 10. And the last thing that Paul says there, that he's praying about, that, that these believers will have, that God will give them, is that they might increase in what? In the knowledge of God. You know that word increase there is a verb. And just to let you know, it is not an active verb. It is a passive verb. It is that somehow it's happening to them. It is not them hitting the ball. It is that somehow the ball is hitting them kind of just to, you know, to uh, relate that verb to you. This is something that's happening to them. Remember how Paul prayed? How did he pray? That God would give it to them. Verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled Well, who's going to do the filling? I went to the dentist the other week and I got a filling. Is that what he's talking about? Who's going to do the filling? 
that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It doesn't actually say who's going to do the filling. We know that He's praying to who? To God. It's God who does the filling through the work of the Holy Spirit. So this is God's work to increase in the knowledge of Him. It's always God's work. Our work is to respond to the work of God in us. Our work is to respond to that. As we turn to this book of Colossians, there's something we need to know, something we need to understand here. We need to understand that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church not only to encourage them in their walk in Christ, but also to draw their attention to their lack of understanding of Christ, which had been exploited by certain groups, two to be exact, who were promoting heresy amongst the believers of Colossae. You've heard of the Colossian heresy. And the two groups were those who held to a type of well, one of them held to a type of Gnostic view, and the other group were Judaizers. And so one group was striving to minimize the sovereignty and divinity of Christ, which implied, therefore, his insufficiency to really save, and that Christ was merely flesh, as they believed that flesh was evil, therefore flesh being matter, matter being evil, Jesus could not be God, because God is not bad. God is not evil. God is not flesh, because flesh is evil. Flesh is bad. And then there were the Judaizers who promoted legalism, just as Luke referred to last week about the cult who teach that the observance of the law is necessary. So too were the Judaizers at Colossae. Yeah, yeah, it's all right to have Christ. That's great. But you have to do this. And you have to look like this. And you have to be like this. One group was striving to minimize the sovereignty of Christ and the divinity of Christ. Christ was unable to save us effectively. He was just mere flesh. The other group was promoting the law. Now it's important to understand this because we live and breathe in a day, an age where heresies are rampant. We're going to listen to a short audio clip soon. I had the video, but it's not, not working. Um, we've got some problems with uh, our technical problems. But, um, but we live in a day and age where heresies are rampant. Can we have that video clip now, please? Thanks, Ian. I just want you to listen to this. This is intriguing. And uh, I want you to pick it up and see if you can pick it up. It's a conversation between two Christians and two. See if you can work out who they are.
that's not them. <laughs> Unless it's a heretical song, I don't know what that song is. <clears throat> If we if we pause it there, can we just pause it there? Is it just hit pause and maybe just rewind it a tad? And I just want to explain it. So you hear that? So these are Mormon guys. So my Bible study group are fortunate. We've already gone through this and heard this. So two Mormon guys, two Christian guys, two Christian guys are loving on their Mormon neighbours, and um, they ask the Mormon guys the question: How can we be saved? According to you guys, how can we be saved? What does he say? Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. He always has been. Did you hear that? Isn't that what we believe? Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Always has been, always will be. Then they go on to say, but just because there is a sure way does not necessarily mean there is a guaranteed way. What does he mean by that? Jesus is not the only way. Jesus is not really, his, his his work on the cross is not actually effectual. It's a good way, but it's not the only way. Can we play it again and, and listen to how they explain the gospel a bit more fully? So if we, do we hear that? So yes, it's a free gift. It's a gift. But we have to, that's Mormon doctrine, folks. But it's not just privy to the Mormons. It's a Jehovah Witness doctrine. It's a cult doctrine. It's anyone other than the true Christianity who says that, yes, we are saved by grace, but, we have to let him. He can't act upon his own power and glory unless little old me allows him. Did you understand that that's what the Mormons believe? Isn't that shocking? It should be shocking. In fact, let's finish that and uh, you'll hear them quote the Mormon Bible. So 2 Nephi is found in the Book of Mormon, 2 Nephi 25-23, and it says, well, we are saved by grace. Doesn't it resonate with us? Only after all we do, and after all we can do. So what they're saying is that we have to do something first before grace becomes effective. But the guys evangelizing these men, what do they say? Well, we are saved by grace alone quoting ephesians 2 8 to 9 what's my point here my point is you know what we live 
in a world and we breathe in a world full of heresy. Full of so much heresy. And it's important to understand this. You know, we are constantly bombarded with stuff on TV, on Facebook. You have a Facebook page and, you know, you've got friends who sort of aren't really mature in their in their Christian walk and they'll put up posts that sound really good but aren't true. You see it on TV and Facebook and the papers. We are constantly bombarded with this kind of stuff uh, which can influence our thinking and it influences our beliefs and, and the danger is then much of the stuff we read in here sounds credible. What the Mormons were saying sounded credible, didn't it? And for any unsuspecting person, it might have sounded like the true gospel. Could have fooled you. You didn't know they were Mormons. Imagine if they came in with sheep's clothing and said, you know, we're Christians, we've come to win you. Christ and uh, so you know it's Jesus is the way the truth and the life and you're saved by grace but you have to do something so it's important that we get this you know I was just thinking the other day that we talk about the wolves in sheep's clothing and, and we refer to the people like the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses and you know, the, maybe the Muslims, I'm not sure. But we, we really identify them as being the wolves in sheep's clothing. Problem is, they're not wolves in sheep's clothing. They're actually wolves. <laughs> and they aren't hiding it. It's just that people aren't knowledgeable about what they're teaching. They don't know the truth. The wolves in sheep's clothing... Actually, those who pretend to be sheep, but they're actually wolves, ravenous wolves, the Bible refers to. Those are the ones we've got to be careful about. Those are the ones we, we must be on guard against. And so much of their teaching sounds credible. If you check out the, the memes and the posts on Facebook, if you sit sift through the, the newspapers, if you watch Q&A, uh, Insight and Dateline, etc., they all say this, what the world needs is, you got it, you've heard it, <laughs> what the world needs is love. Right? That's what we hear on Facebook, what we hear on, the, on TV, when you watch TV, they say what the world needs is love. Even in our churches, preachers are saying what the world needs is love. As if love is the answer to life's biggest problem. What do you say the world needs? Amen. The world needs Jesus, but not the Jesus of the Mormons, but the Jesus of the Bible. And so 
They all believe that the problems in the world today can be solved by love. Wow. But it's true, isn't it? Is it? If humanity would just love each other, then all the problems in the world would be solved and there would be no crime. There would be no wars and there would be no hate, etc. Well, let me tell you, folks, the world's not missing out on love. The world has heaps of love. You understand that? It's not like the world is lacking love. It's the world is not lacking love. The problem is, where is that love directed? That's the problem. Is all that love is coming back here? You get a chance to listen to Martin Lyles from Australian Christian Lobby and he's got a bit of a spiel there and, and he explains the problem really well. You know, you know how much a person loves themselves when you preach the gospel and they are highly offended. I was listening to Todd Friel, Milani and I were listening to Todd Friel from Wretched TV. Write that one down and check him out. And then he goes into universities and he goes and he does street evangelism to the lost being obedient to the, the command of Jesus and, and he goes and, and his heart is to tell them about the good news and in one of these uh, episodes we were watching is this young girl with her Bible and she's just blasting him saying you're doing it wrong that's not how we are to do this that's not loving on our neighbors that's condemning them what you're doing is condemning our neighbors what was he doing telling them the gospel and her interpretation of that was that he was condemning them because his message was offensive and he said to her well how do you do it well i just love on them that's how i evangelize i just love on my neighbor Is that evangelism? That's not biblical evangelism. That is a heresy. And guess what? Many churches have picked up on that. That's an easy way out. Let's just love on our neighbor. Let's just, you know, make them like us. Because if I share the gospel to my neighbor, they're going to be highly offended. Why? It's a true gospel of things. The true gospel highlights that we are sinful people fallen short of the glory of God, deserving nothing from God, no matter what we do. And yet God, by his grace and his mercy, substituted Jesus with us on the cross, that Jesus died in my place. He took my sin. And he bore it there with his blood. And he washed it away. But I deserved none of that. It's like the, you know, the um, courtroom scene of a person who is a criminal and goes before the judge. And the judge reads out their list of crimes. 
and all the evidence is stacked up against him. And God says, but guess what? You deserve the punishment for your crime, but I'm going to put it on my son so that you can go free and you won't have to die the death that you deserve. That God the Father would do that substitute me on the cross for the son on the cross the son why why does he do that because I could do nothing other than be substituted because if I could have earned it my way it would be a whole different ball game by grace, we have been saved. So the world believes, and not only the world, many believe that the problem in the world can be solved by loving each other. And then Christians start picking up on it and then they start promoting the idea that the world is in a mess because it doesn't love. I really don't get that. I don't get that, how you can believe that. Well, I do. The problem is you don't understand sin. You don't understand grace. You don't understand that all have fallen short of the glory of God. You sit here this morning, let me tell you, you have fallen short. You're not sitting here and think that you've done something great. And you deserve God's grace and mercy and love because of something you've done. That is religion. And religion kills. That's what Luke was preaching last week. So don't sit in here and ever think that you're better than your neighbor. In fact, I think it was Martin Luther who said that we should never measure our holiness based on the sin of our neighbour. Why? Because we look pretty good. But we should measure our holiness based on the one who is truly holy. The problem is religious people look at their neighbour and go, wow, I'm not like them. Instead of looking to Christ and going, wow, I'm not like him. That's what you call holy. He who knew no sin became sin for me. That we might become righteous in him because he is holy and he is righteous. We're not. So religious people say, well, you know, it's, it's okay. I'll just look at my neighbor. And if we all did that, guess what? We become pretty proud people. And it's a shame if we ever did that. Guys. If you do that, I want to ask you to repent. If you do that, I want to ask you to repent and stop doing it. Because it's not right. Because you fail to recognize your own sin. And if you keep doing it, never see your own sin and how far you've fallen 
Therefore, you will never be as grateful as you can be for the grace and mercy of God as you should be. So if you're doing it, stop it, please. Stop measuring your holiness to that of your neighbor, the person sitting next to you, the one in front of you, the one behind you. Lest the Bible says you fall. And I would not like to see that happen to any of our people. Yet you know that the world is in a in a mess because of sin, and the hope that the world has, the hope that we all have, is only found in Christ, in Christ Himself. And if what the world needs is Christ, then we as Christians should be compelled to, to say something about him, right? And we should be compelled to that. If we know that what the world needs is Christ and not love, then we should be compelled to telling people that. So the challenge is, are we telling people that? Here's something practical you can take away also. Are you telling people about Christ? Are you praying? Do you seriously pray about people with all your heart? Are you convicted to pray for people? But you know what? Don't just pray, but look for a way. You know, it's okay to pray, But you've got to take it to the next level too and do something about it. And do something about it. And so that's what we did. We've, we've started, thankfully, Stephen came around the other day with pies. <laughs> what an opportunity. And we went and we met our neighbour and, you know, and, and she, was, she was actually glad. She seemed very happy to see us. Um, so only the Lord could do that. When we were in Adelaide and at Bible College, you know, we, we were doing evangelism with Jeff Honnick and, and one of the uh, subjects we were looking at was praying. As, you know, people of God, we should be praying uh, for opportunities to evangelize. And Milani was homeschooling at the time, the kids, and she was at home with the kids. The, and um, we'd been praying about, you know, reaching our neighbors. And we lived right next to a playground. And this this elderly lady showed up at the playground with her grandson. And Melanie's kind of thought, oh, this isn't, you know, this didn't happen by chance because nothing happens by chance in God's economy. Um, and so Melanie took the opportunity to go and meet this lady. And immediately they struck up a relationship. Just like that. And the lady, you know, after a short while, invited Melanie to her home for coffee and they continued their conversation. And then that night, we get a knock on the door, and it's this lady and her husband. And her husband wanted to meet me because he heard we were from New Zealand, and he played rugby for South Australia against the All Blacks. So he wanted to meet a New Zealander and talk all about his rugby days. And, uh, and we just we, we developed a relationship. But our intentions were to share the gospel. We were intentional about sharing the gospel. And eventually... We, had, we used to run a Bible study, called, uh, well, not a Bible study, but we used to run an evangelism course, Christianity Explored, um, uh, from All Souls Church out of, uh, is it, uh, what's his name, Rico Tice. 
and we ran this little course and invited them along. No pressure. They came. And they came and they heard the gospel articulated clearly. And this man is a big, stocky man. He played rugby. <laughs> By the end of it, he was in tears. And he had shared his experience as a young fellow in the Navy, in the Navy where they'd stopped in Korea and they were warned not to get off the boat and go into the red light district. He was young. <laughs> he got off the boat, but he was bulletproof, and uh, he was chased by a whole mob of Korean guys, and they were going to kill him. And that's what was happening to a lot of American Navy, um, Navy personnel, and um, they were being murdered by these Koreans. And uh, he ran. He said he ran and ran and ran and ran, and he saw this church, and he ran to the church. He said he wouldn't believe what happened there. I said, "What? Oh, this is my life." The door flung open as soon as I got to the doorstep. And the pastor came out and said, There you are. I've been waiting for you to come. <laughs> and this man just cried like a baby. Are you intentional about your evangelism? Because the world doesn't need love, folks. The world needs Remember last time we saw that the Apostle Paul prayed and asked for one thing from God, that he might fill the Colossians with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and that the reception of this request would affect four areas of their, their walk, their lives, in terms of their faith in Christ. It would cause or enable the Colossians to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that it would... It, <laughs> that they would desire to please him in respect to all things, that they would bear fruit in every good work, and finally, that they would increase in the knowledge of God. So when one receives the knowledge of God's will, one will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They will please him with respect to all things. They will bear fruit in every good work, and they will increase in the knowledge of God. Are you increasing in your knowledge of God? Are you satisfied you've got enough of God? Remember, God is too deep to fathom. You can never get enough of him. And so, increase in your knowledge of him. Um, you know, these people might not do this perfectly, just as we might not do this perfectly. But they, as well as us, we, we do it by the grace of God, in the strength of God, for the glory of God. Because if you're doing this in your own strength, guess what? You might be good. You might take two steps forward. You're going to take ten steps back in no time. This kind of work cannot be done in our own strength. You know that. You've tried it. You know it, don't you? And you know it doesn't work. We do this by the grace of God. You know why? Because God knows we can't do it in our strength. And by his grace we do it. And when we fall back, it's all right. We're doing it by the grace of God. And he keeps us going again and again. And we keep coming back, keep going forward. But we strive, don't we? Our desire is this, to walk in a manner worthy of of the Lord. Is that your desire? It should be your desire. 
you know, that these are truly the characteristics of someone who is born again. The true characteristic of a born-again person is not that they rock up to church every Sunday, not that they own a Bible, not that they've been to a Christian school, not that they sing in the church choir or play an instrument in church, not that they take communion. That is not the true characteristic of a born-again person. Anyone can do that. You get it? Anyone can rock up once a week to church for two hours or sometimes, well, not even two hours, let's be real, an hour and a half before we get a bit itchy. <laughs> but, you know, anyone can do that. I think it's funny, we'll go to a cinema movie and sit there and watch, you know, cartoons for more than two hours and be to come to church and be here for two hours or more. Ooh. A bit difficult, eh? We want to get home and have a feed. <laughs> and so, you know, the true characteristic of a born-again person is that they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they please Him in respect to all things, and that they bear fruit in every good work, that they increase in the knowledge of God. Why? Because they love Him. And I want to develop that a bit here. That, that is that their, um, their walk, their lives, their talk, their thoughts, their actions, their hearts don't seek to make much of themselves but to make much of Christ. That's what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is to make much of the Lord. It means to walk in such a way that Christ is honoured, that Christ is exalted, that Christ is glorified as King in our lives and over our lives, over our thoughts, in our And so it means that we rely on him for all things and we trust him with all our hearts. And so to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is to walk in such a way that one believes that Jesus is worthy. Do you believe Jesus is worthy? That he is worth it? The, the word worthy comes from the, the root word worth. And the corresponding question we ask is, is Christ worth it to us? Or what is the worth of Christ to us? Does my walk, my talk display to others that Christ is of great worth to me? Are we displaying that? Are we displaying the worth of Christ in our lives and the way we think, the way we talk? way we behave with others. The term axios, translated as worthy, refers to weight or to balance the scales and it corresponds with the Hebrew word kabad, which is used a number of times to speak of glorifying God. 
And it means to make something heavy or to add weight to something. So when referring to God, it means to glorify Him in the sense of putting it all on Him. That's everything. All our doctrines, all our beliefs, all, all our whatever we do, Paul says, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. That means that you take everything, everything, and you put it all on Him so that He will be more magnified, more glorified, including our doctrines. You see, the Mormon doctrine says, no, you put some of it on man. Did you see that? Because grace, by definition, according to a Mormon, is, yes, what God does, but only after what we do. And so to, to, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is to put it all on Him. It's to say, wow, He is the greatest. I am not. He is worth it all. I am not. Does it mean very, make me look very small and very little? Yes, it does. But I am already small. What it means is that we are to walk in such a way that the Lord can be seen and heard by others as being of great worth to us. And you notice how the, this heads the list of verse 10. Why? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Why? Well, to please Him in respect to all things, to bear fruit in every good work, to increase in the knowledge of God is dependent on the value we place on Him. Don't think that you can please Him in respect to all things. Don't think that you can bear fruit in every good work. And don't think that you can increase in the knowledge of God, yet you don't count Him to be worthy. You think about those things you value. You think about how others know you value those things. Think about it. The things everyone knows you value the most. What is it that you value the most? Anyone brave enough to say it? To confess it? People see what is of great worth to us because they hear it and they see it. They notice we spend much of our time with the thing we value and they hear us talk often about the thing we value. Therefore, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians and prayed for them, he did so trusting that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, in other words, so, so that they would value the Lord. And so that they would be noticed by the world around them that they value the Lord. Does the world notice you value the Lord? 
Do they hear the worth you have for the Lord? So how do we walk in such a way that the church, the world, our families, our work colleagues, our, our friends and neighbours identify that we value Christ? How can we do that? Do what the little reception kids do at school. You know what they do at school? Show and tell. Last week Luke mentioned John 14 verse 15 where Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we know that these commandments refer to his commands and not the law. <clears throat> and it'd be good homework for us to do, I think, just to go through the New Testament. Mark out the commandments of the Lord so we know what to keep and what not to keep. And the command that he was specifically referring to is found really back in chapter, uh, the chapter before in chapter uh, 13, in verses 34 to 35. Are you familiar with that? That as people, those who are born again should love one another. There's a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another by this by this all men will know you value me by this Jesus says all the world will know that you think much of me when you have love for one another By this all men will know that you are my disciples. You have followed me. But you count me to be worthy if you have love for one another. Therefore to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is to see the, the worth of his love for us. God demonstrated his love for us. While we're at war with him, Christ died. Or to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is to see the worth of his love for us as a standard by which we love one another. You love one another even as I have loved you. What's the standard? His love for us. Even as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And let me just add the one another there. It's not everyone in this world. Imagine that. You had to love one another like that. Or we're to love our enemies, but our enemies are not our brothers and sisters in the Lord. But he is speaking here to his disciples, saying to them, you're born again. You're to love one another as I have loved you. How did Christ love them? John 15 verse 13, Greater love have no man than this that he So do we love one another? Do we love the people in the church the way Jesus is talking about? question then must be asked, what then does that love kind of look like played out in the life of those who come to church? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 to 9. 
<clears throat> Peter there says this, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Is it one another again? Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers what? A multitude of sins. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Here Peter writing to those who were alienated from parts of Asia Minor which were under Roman rule and potentially facing persecution and suffering because of their call as Christians to make a stand for Christ says that while you are facing persecution, you need to arm yourselves, verse 1, with the same purpose or mind as Christ and one of the things you need to arm yourself with and to put your minds to is this. Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And then as a result, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Daryl, you just said that, you know, it's not love that we need, it's Christ. And yes, you are. When you have Christ, you'll be fine. When you have Christ, When you have Christ, you live to please and respect to all things. When you have Christ, you increase in your hunger and your desire to know more about Him. That's why our Bible study should be full to the brim. That's why we should be having more Bible study groups than the three we have already. Peter's writing here to these people to encourage them and also to challenge them. They need to arm themselves with this purpose in their minds to keep fervent in their love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And then as a result of that, as a result of loving one another fervently, guess what happens? You become hospitable to one another without Now, Peter wrote this to Christians who were under extreme pressure by the world around them, and there were some among them who were tempted to run with the unbelieving crowd. And Peter gives a word to them. You know, there, there, has, there, there has been a tendency for people to use this text to conceal the sins of others, and it's been used by people to threaten loved ones or others in the church, to conceal their sin. And so the idea of love is redefined to mean that you will know how much a person loves me or, or anyone else because they will conceal my sin. Because love covers a multitude of sin. And many have used this passage that way. But that is not what Peter meant. 
Love never covers up sin. True love reveals it. That is what the gospel does. You preach the gospel properly, you articulate it properly, and people's sins will be exposed. And so true love reveals sin in order that the culprit may come to repentance. What Peter was referring to here is that genuine love between brothers and sisters really in the church is forgiving but never concealing. It forgives any wrong but it seeks and strives for repentance. It doesn't overlook sin but rather seeks to cover it with hospitality. That's what verse Nine says, doesn't it? Be hospitable to one another without complaint. You notice that the word hospitable and hospital are very similar. You ever notice that? Well, they are. The word hospitable and the word hospital are very similar, very connected. That is because they basically mean the same thing. And that is how Peter is employing that term here. That when a person in the church has been sinning, they are sick. They are spiritually sick. And we are to cover them in a way that will bring healing to their souls. Through prayer, through discipline. We are to do all that we can to bring about repentance. James says something very similar, doesn't he? When he wrote in James 5, 19 to 20 and says this, look there, please. James chapter 5, 19 to 20. And he says this, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he, he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. See it there? That's what hospitality looks like in its biblical definition. To turn a person in the church away from their sinful ways. That's what it means by covering them. It's to turn them away from it turning away is repentance. That's why pastors get a hard time, don't they? When they confront sin. I'm sure theirs has been in that predicament many times. And I have been too. There we confront sin and people don't like it. They feel offended with their definition of love. Love is not offensive. Love doesn't offend me. It makes me feel good and comfortable. That is not biblical love, friends. You know, I remember an illustration about forgiveness. I don't know if you heard this one or if I shared it with you. I hope I didn't share it with you. I thought about it. But there's a woman in uh, at church and she goes to her pastor and um, she, she goes to her pastor and tells him, look, pastor, 
I need you to know this, but I've been meeting with Jesus and, you know, we've been having conversations. And she seemed really genuine this morning. The pastor was very cautious, as he should be. And uh, wanting to dispel her claims, he suggested to her that the next time she sees Jesus, that she should ask him to tell her the sin that he had committed when he was a young Christian, the sin that he told nobody else about, the sin that he prayed to the Lord about and asked for forgiveness. Anyway, the, the next week at church, the pastor saw the lady and goes up to her and he asks her after the service, so did you see Jesus again? Yes, I did, pastor. And what did he say to you? Did he tell you what my sin was? Well, she said, he said to me, I don't remember. What do you mean he doesn't remember? He said, I forgave him his sin. So to walk in a manner worthy is to live in such a way that we are loving one another fervently. And we are seeking to cover one another's sins, not hide them, not conceal them, to bring one another around in repentance. How should we see him? Somebody comes up to you from the church and says, look, I need to talk to you. I know it's a hard thing, but I know there's a blessing from the Lord. I know there's an act of peace. But the Lord cares for you enough that he would send a brother or sister to you to confront you about your sin and your heart. Your sin in your life and your hiding. stand before a mighty and holy God who sees all things. But this roof and these walls don't hide you from him. You need to know he's a gracious and merciful God. And he's showing up to you and me dying in the place of our sin. So brothers and sisters, walk in a manner worthy the Lord. Love one another fervently. Be hospitable to one another. When was the last time you invited someone here from church that you haven't met yet? When was the last time you had someone here when from around your place for lunch or coffee or caught up to show hospitality to you? Don't invite the same people all the time. Invite somebody else. We're all brothers and sisters, aren't we? We all want to show one another love as Jesus commanded. But I'm going to ask the band to come up here and pray very shortly.